Welcome to episode five of Rap Beer. I'm John Kretschmer along with Scott Davis. Hello. And uh, today we have an amazing human being, the Reverend Tom Jones, a construction coordinator who's a member of the tribe, hails from Shelby, and he's known. Just blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Hello, welcome to episode five of Rap Beer. I am Scott Davis along with my co host, John Kretschmer, and we've got an episode that's going to be a lot of fun. An amazing human being. I call him the Reverend Jones, Tom Jones, Jr., construction coordinator, a member of the tribe. And however, he's got a new title now, The Doctor. And this episode is The Doctor is In. Tom Jones, Jr. Yes. Welcome to Rap Beer. Okay. And Happy to be here. And here we are in Cinespace Wilmington in the screening room. Nice. And my understanding, you are familiar with this screening room? I am. I've, I was on the crew that built this screening room in 1984, spring of 84. Wow. When uh, shortly after I was hired on to work at, um, at that time, Dealerinus, I think it was North Carolina Film Corporation at the time. North yeah. Carolina Film Corporation yeah. was, the, was the first shingle, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You know, um, I have to think it's transient as our business has become that how permanent that may have felt, you know, that you're building a proper screening room, right. building a studio that, that maybe that meant that, you know, this may go for a while. This may be a... Had you moved here? We moved here for the for the industry. Yeah, right, right. And um, before, or after you started hammering nails here in the screening room, we moved here probably two weeks before I started work. And, um, so you came down with the promise of a job, and I came down with the promise of a, a job. Yeah, you know. So here's another thing: it's forty years later. You know, we're measuring this in decades. Yeah, four for decades sure. later. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, so that that's what kind of circled it for me it'll be 40 years in april for me in, uh, in uh, september so you know tom jones uh, cons- as a construction coordinator you certainly have a storied career hmm. um i understand you're dabbling in front of the camera with some work well that was pure purely by accident but uh yeah i was doing the construction on a the the second uh launching of the halloween franchise this one was just called Halloween down in Charleston, and we were in a production meeting. And the um, first AD, he leaned up, leaned forward, and he looked at me, and he says, hey. I pointed to myself and said, me? And he says, yeah. He says, take your glasses off. And I, I said, okay. So I took my glasses off. We hadn't even met yet. This was like in the very beginning. So I took my glasses off, and he says, give me a look. <laughs> So I gave him a look. Uh, you just gave me a look. I, I gave him the, the stink eye, and um, <laughs> he punched uh, David Green, the director, and he says, hey, we've got our Loomis right here. And David said, yeah, that'll work. So in the original script, uh, the story opened with a flashback to the night of the original Halloween, 1978, and it was going to pick up where Loomis shot Michael Myers six times and he falls off the balcony they rush to the balcony and the body's gone and uh, then the story would pick up you know 40 years later or, or whatever but um, that was not that film budget wise so um, oh. we 
there was a rewrite. They dropped all of that. That would have required a soundstage, rigging, special effects, all you know, stunts, the whole thing. And that budget was only, I think, $14 million. Gotcha. And it was not in, it wasn't in the cards. I remember a producer said that one time to uh, the Pate brothers. You know, lads, yeah. you got to go, you got to write yourself out of this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, they they took that scene out. They filled it in with some other, you know, to get the page count and everything. And that film grossed uh, $200 million domestic Oof. on a $14 million production budget and so they knew they had the firepower to pay for a flashback sequence on the second iteration Halloween Kills so they wrote an entire vignette of uh, we did the neighborhood in Carolina Place 1978 we built a neighborhood on stage 10 with six houses street sidewalk we wow. sculpted the same trees that were in Pasadena, California, on the sidewalk outside the original Halloween house, like verbatim, copied Holy all cow. of that stuff. And then beyond the Myers house, we copied the houses on each side of it in Pasadena. And then across the street, we used houses in Carolina Place that matched what we were shooting as the across the street in, in Carolina. So you... So not only did you have a role in the movie, you built the movie as well. We built the movie. Holy cow. And um, <laughs> my one day of work on the film was a Friday night. And we were, we were, we were going seven days a week on construction because we had a fairly short prep time. And it was a very short shooting schedule. So it was, you know, compressed. And so I was actually running a crew out in um, – Veterans Park near uh, Ashley High School mm -hmm. that day. And so I left that crew about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I went home. I laid down for a couple hours, got up, took a shower. I had my call at 6 o'clock here for hair and makeup. And at uh, 10 o'clock, they dropped me off at stage 10, and I m immediately went in front of the camera for a, a scene. And then throughout the night, I was in. I was background in several scenes, and I had like sort of the um, focal point in a couple of scenes, and then that. I, and then we wrapped about seven. Went hair and makeup, got all the stuff taken off, went home, had two shots of tequila. <laughs> I took a nap, and I came back to work. Went back to work. Yeah, went back to work. Running a construction crew. Running a construction crew. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And how that how this that experience turn out for you? Well, it turned out great. You know, it was uh, purely serendipitous. Uh, uh, um, Attila, the first AD, you know, it was his doing, so I blame him to this day. Right. But, um, you know, it worked out really good. David encouraged me to join Screen Actors Guild, so I did that. And the one day I worked paid for my Screen Actors Guild uh, due to membership, the uh, – the whole thing so you know and I've gotten a couple of nice residual checks off of it that's great for what that's worth and um as a totally unforeseen byproduct the uh effects makeup guy who worked on it a guy named Chris Nelson contacted me and asked me if I'd be interested in doing horror conventions and horror conventions horror conventions <laughs> yeah 
and his uh, his friend Sean Clark is a agent for horror conventions. So he had Sean get up with me, and we talked. And he says, "Would you be interested? No strings attached." He says, "You know, you're all expenses paid. You'll show up at a horror convention. You'll sign autographs. You'll get paid in cash." And um, the worst thing will happen is you'll go home with a few bucks in your pocket. I Good said, heavens. Yeah. I said, sure, go ahead. So um, so far I've done six of them over the last two years. And, um, you know, some have been better than others, but it's just a freaky kind of a whole subculture. I mean, people know they're there, but the horror fans turn out in groves drove rather and they are like so gracious and sweet and just genuinely into their art form and uh so anyway that's that's been a fun uh, offshoot of that whole that whole thing so i'm i'm dr loomis dr loomis amazing yeah and we're so honored to have uh, the presence of <laughs> dr loomis here on rap beer well i think uh, donald pleasant's expired in like 96 so he was not around for any um, anything after that, and you know, four hours of hair and makeup, and I bore a uh, somewhat somewhat of a striking resemblance. So, amazing, yeah, yeah amazing. Um, I want to talk about the abyss a little bit. Okay, we just we just saw a screening of the the 4K um, remix on right. that. What'd yeah. you think? I thought it held up pretty good. You know, the the still for me, the weak link in the underwater footage is there's no life except uh, for those crabs coming out of that seaman's mouth when they're in the <laughs> right within the submarine right you know, there's very little uh, flora fauna or except no, for those little plants that burn in here all me yeah the little plants that wave back and forth but right. you know there are no fish copy that <laughs> <laughs> which i understand you know you're in whatever right. 80 feet of water that's been chlorinated to death and heated, and, you know, that would have been an impossibility. And, and, and of course, you know, uh, computer graphics were brand new then. Yeah, and at they, that time, they couldn't have Do you remember the, that off. Do you remember, I remember the day I was hired, they started animating the water mm-hmm. creature, mm-hmm. and it ran for eight months. Right, yeah. And it, to render that. Yeah. Um, another thing from the 4K that I, I saw in just a difference of the improvement of the image mm-hmm. was um, Captain Kretschmer. You know, the yeah. U.S. Montana. In the yeah. previous version, I would tell people, if you look really close, when he stands at the chart, you can read Kretschmer. Right. And lo and behold, in this 4K, it's Kretschmer, 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 Kretschmer. Oop, Kretschmer's drowned, you know. So yeah. I got like five plugs yeah. in, no, the, in the 4K was, version. It was really an improvement. One of the very first – well, I was hired in California mm-hmm. to work on the abyss. And I drove back across the country and loaded up my truck and drove out to Gaffney, went down right. the winding road, mm-hmm. and um, – and uh, I was the very first person to show up at the gate, and Earl Owensby was manning the gate. Right. Yeah. A <laughs> cottage industry for him. Yeah. <laughs> and his little wiener dog. But I do remember about a week later or two weeks later, you showed up, and you were the very first familiar face mm-hmm. that I saw. I was the first Gaffney. construction person right. hired. Yeah. And um, I had contacted uh, Ken Pattenden, the first construction coordinator about interviewing and so we set it up and my in-laws lived in Shelby so we'd driven down there for the weekend and I went in on Saturday morning to Gaffney to the uh, Cherokee site for the interview and um, so we met and talked and you know after an hour or so he says well 
he says, you've got the job. And I said, okay. And he says, but, he says, um, we need a crew to start Tuesday. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they had been, you know, the art department had been working for some time. So they had a lot of drawings developed. Oh, yeah. And a lot of the, you know, the uh, conceptual design, a lot of that had already been done. I and saw all that in L.A. when I interviewed. Yeah, yes, for sure. So um, I, I didn't leave until 5.30 that afternoon. I spent the day on the phone calling, 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 getting whoever I could get to show up for Tuesday to start work. Wow. Yeah. And, um, my, my youngest daughter was a week old. And uh, she was born on the, uh, the 8th of May, and I think I started on the 17th, 16th or 17th of May. So wow. that was a tough one, but uh, it was timely for me uh, career-wise. Where, where did you stay? Did you stay with your family in Shelby? Yeah, I stayed with my in-laws in Shelby. Yeah, right. it worked yeah. out good. They were early risers, and you know we had to be out good. That's great. Um, you know, um, when I got hired... It, things worked out in my favor because I had done a movie here with Michael Stringer mm-hmm. um, from yeah, the hip. From the hip, yeah. I worked and, on that. And when I interviewed with Les Dilly, mm-hmm. he looked at my um, resume and said, Michael Stringer? You've worked yeah. with Michael Stringer? Yeah. And I was in. Yeah. And then, not only that, um, we'd done the, the um, screen test for Leviathan. Right. That was here. And Ron yeah. Cobb yep. designed that. And mm-hmm. I was riding around in the in the – in the van with Ron Cobb and um, Bill Skinner. Mm-hmm. And when I, North Carolina kid, walked into the art department there to interview, Ron's in the back of the room and he goes, yeah. John. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone else is just cowering in his shadow. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And who's this kid from North Carolina? Knows Ron Cobb. Yeah. So I'm um, better booking. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, by the time I got to uh, Charlie Scores to get hired, he says, Tell me what you want. Mm-hmm. You know? And I said, Well, I want my crew. Yeah. And so I got to bring my whole crew from Wilmington. Yeah. And, um, and I remember you and I run around, but the, what a crazy thing. It was about eight months. Um, I remember we, we uh, in the set dressing part, we um, uh, marked the passage of time by how many times banana pudding showed up on the craft service <laughs> truck. <laughs> I think the show was about eight banana puddings long. Yeah. Well, I was there for almost nine months to the day. I came back after Christmas. And um, I got a call from a guy named Cliff Werber, who was the attorney for Fox. And he had me meet him out at the property. And he had uh, gone to a sign shop and had all of these vinyl signs made. It said, Property of 20th Century Fox. And we spent a couple of days putting those signs all over everything that was left behind. Right. Including Deep Core. Right. And um, then that was my kiss off there Uh, amazing we started high school in the eighth grade and then we moved to Shelby after the eighth grade and that's when I became a North Carolinian and so I always referred to that as my hometown because we lived there I guess the longest I went to high school there and stuff. Gotcha. And um, so after that, um, after high school, I went to Western Carolina and bounced around working odd jobs, living in Greensboro for a while. Did you finish at Carolina? I finished at Western, yeah. Yeah. What'd yeah. you get? I got a uh, BA in 
it's like a triple. <laughs> it was uh, equal parts uh, English history, political science, and anthropology. It was kind of a hybrid. That resembles you, Mr. Jones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it doesn't scream construction, <laughs> but uh, it's funny enough, I was going to try to teach when I got out of college. Uh-huh. But in the mid-'70s, um, you couldn't get a job teaching unless someone died. Those teaching jobs were so sought after. You know, it was a good career, right. relatively well-paying, great benefits, and people just didn't retire until they aged out. So I did my share of substitute teaching and stuff like that. But to um, then I moved out to Missoula, Montana, with a bunch of college guys that I'd known. Um, they were already out there, and I, and I came out. I, one of them needed their car out, so I drove their car out and then spent a couple of years out there and um, just kind of eye-jobbing it for a while. And then I got a job in a, um, a lumber yard as a uh, laborer, but it was a Teamster shop. So after X amount of weeks, I was in the Teamsters union, and I drove a, a big rig doing uh, deliveries for timber, and we had a truss plant. We delivered trusses all over, right. uh, sort of within 50 miles of Missoula, that kind of a thing. And then I moved back to North Carolina in like 77, and um, had you know, I'd always done construction in high school during the summers and in college. And um, so I'd, to make money, I just went back to construction. And I uh, hooked up with a, um, a general contractor I'd worked with in high school. And uh, I spent probably about three months in Shelby doing that. And then my brother-in-law said, hey, my roommate from Carolina is a builder in uh, Golden Valley. And they're looking for some carpenters. And so I called him up, and his name was Pete Link. And he and Jeff Slaughter were partners in, in um, doing residential construction. So uh, the job I was on, I took off at lunch and went up there. They were doing a, a, uh, an addition up in Boiling Springs. I met with them, and they said, yeah, okay, um, you're hired. <laughs> it was like not much of an interview. So I went back, and, and I think I worked like a week's notice and then came back and worked with, with those guys. And uh, let me backtrack a little bit. Um, my, my experience building scenery was um, Earl Owensby had called Pete. They were in a jam to finish a set that had to – and we, had, uh, we worked all weekend on it uh, for a film he was doing called Living Legend, where he's, he plays the Elvis character right. named Eli. Yes. Something or another. And so we went to the to Earl Soundstage, and we finished up building a hotel room. And, you know, it was French doors. All we did was take three-quarter plywood and just cut out the, cut out the holes and stood it in the opening. They put shears over it, backlit it, and boom, and that kind of a thing. And that's the only set construction I've ever done w- working with those guys or in the Earl, uh, Earlosphere. Right. Um, they continued, um, in fact, they, up to a certain point, they'd built sets for all of Earl's movies at, at one point or another. And, but they also kept residential work going on. Right. And kept, I, and kept I, it both going, yes. And uh, Jeff would usually do the residential work and Pete would do the film work. And so that's, that's how um, I got hooked up with them. 
and how I got hooked up with Jeff. And then when, um, and we stayed in touch over the years, but once um, Firestarter landed here and he came with it and then had decided to move here. Uh, we were living in Asheville at the time by then. And um, I was, you know, working residential construction and it was just hard to even get 40 hours a week with the weather and everything. So I contacted him about uh, once it was clear they were gonna move down here and get started, if there'd be any, you know, any availability for employment. He says, well, he says, in typical Jeff fashion, he says, well, if you're living here and I'm hiring, <laughs> I'll give you a job. <laughs> he speaks the truth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, so anyway, we live. We moved here. Y'all moved here. We moved here in, uh, I want to say it was late March, early April of uh, 84. And uh, it was, uh, you know, we'd come down for a weekend and kind of looked things over and then had decided, yeah, we're going to make the move. And then we came back again to look for a place to live, which was, we'd been on probably several years of, you know, renting places for like 100 a month, 150 a month. And um, the place we were in Asheville was a hundred a month. And it was a little A-frame out in the country uh, in Arden, and uh, so we came down here and we're looking at stuff, and it's like, well, it was four and five hundred dollars a month. I said, what is going on? Plus, the housing market was really tight. We couldn't find anything, and so we were riding around, and I saw a guy bringing some uh, debris out of a house throwing in the back of a pickup truck. And so we just pulled up in the driveway, and I walked up there and uh, introduced myself. And wow. He introduced himself. His name was Sam Brown. He was a mechanic for Piedmont Airlines. He lived here. He was on the very first Piedmont flight ever. It originated in Wilmington That's and, correct. and flew to Cincinnati, Ohio. Wow. But he was um, had decided to dip his toes into rental property. He bought this house over in Pine Grove Drive and he was doing some uh, fixing up on it. And I said, well, when's it gonna be ready? And he says, well, you know, first of April was my plan. I said, do you have a tenant yet? And he said, no. And I said, well, would you consider? And so anyway, we made a deal for 325 a month and we're going, wow, how are we gonna make 325 a month? Goodness gracious. And so anyway, so we went back to Asheville, we loaded up and, uh, Headed back down. You know, one of my very first landlords was a Piedmont pilot. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Guy on the Wooster House at Third and Dock. That's yeah, I loved Piedmont Airlines. Was. Yeah, <laughs> they were great. So I guess I guess those were maybe the breadwinners too at that time. You know? Oh the, yeah, the, for the sure. Airline pilots. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Industry. You know, I I think the first time I remember meeting you was on the back lot. I think during No Mercy. Um, I, I didn't realize you were in town that early. Yeah. And, um, well, I'd, I'd done, um, we did a lot of upfit in this building, and then I started on Cat's Eye when we actually got up and running building scenery. And um, we helped outfit the stages. Um, in fact, the the construction crew that was working for Jeff did the, we did the, insulation and the drywall inside of stage three that was our first soundproofed right sort of stage and um someone ran the day crew and i ran the night crew and it was me and chet spear 
and two or three others, a guy named Bob No, and we would come in at 6 p.m. every day, and we would insulate and hang sheetrock until 6 a.m. the next morning. And we did that for, I can't remember for how long. And then they came in, and they painted, I guess they painted it black, and they sprayed that uh, cellulose, right. the, the soundproofing on there. And then we started building sets after that. And um, then I was drafted to work on You're the Dragon with Vic Simpson when he was when he started that film. And then as for, a as a carpenter, or as a foreman, I was a lead carpenter. Lead they, carpenter. It wasn't. It was a different setup. You had a carpenter, right. a lead carpenter, and then a foreman. And then there weren't like a dozen foremans like there are now. You know. Um, and then and everybody was sort of you made your deal however much you could make it. There was no uh, pay scale established at that time. So um, I went in. I was the lead guy f- for the um, the local crew on the back lot. I had an English foreman, uh, Mick Law, was over me. And so um, they had a, another English foreman, Dave Bubb, who was over the stage work. And then they brought in an Italian, total Italian crew, who built a set on stage, what is now stage six, um, that they were chisels, handsaws, and hammers. Was that the Chinese restaurant? No, this was, was a, I want to, it was someone's apartment. Gotcha. Uh, the Chinese restaurant was the local crew. Oh, that was on stage five. That was on five, yeah, yeah the yeah. Shanghai Palace. Yes. Yep. So um, we did that, and then, you know, after Yitter Dragon wrapped, uh, kind of shut down for a few months. Oh, it, it definitely shut down. I was. Um, <laughs> There's no doubt it shut down. I was out for um, maybe three months or so. I worked for a contractor on Ballhead Island building houses, and then Jeff called me in to. We built the first guard shack, and then when they moved it to the other side. When they well, it's kind of where it is now. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. started out on the, yeah, on the and other then side of the building. Um, I got sent out to Dino's house. I did about six or eight months out there. Wow! Uh, out of over the two years that it took to build that house, yeah, because <laughs> it was a cavalcade of um, different people cycling in and out of that. And I would contact Jeff. I said, "Hey, man." People out in the studio are getting 60, 70 hours a week, and we're, we're stuck on 50 hours a week out in here. And he says, well, <laughs> you're in the best place you can possibly be. <laughs> and uh, I said, okay. But it was, it was a great gig because you got to go to the beach every day. You were on the first floor, then the second floor, yeah. and then the third floor. And so the scenery. And, and that, was, that was a prime part of the beach for the, oh, the, you the were, kids hanging out. You were yeah. um, oceanfront on Asheville Street. Yeah. And at that time – Dino's house, I think, was the biggest resident residence yeah. built on the beach. In in that section, Wrightsville Beach, that's where all the college kids lived. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, back in the day. And uh, so we were oceanfront, and then you had Asheville Street, and then to the south was a house that Martha and Dino rented. Right. While and they lived there while their house was being built, so they would they'd come in periodically and. Um, They'd walk through the house, you know, <laughs> make changes or make notes 
Right. No, we don't like this. We don't like that. So um, an, uh, an amazing amount of uh, rebuilding went on during the building of that house because uh, they had a designer who designed what the house wanted to look like. But then they had to have a local architect actually make it into construction engineering right. uh, reality. With, with oceanfront code. Yeah, that yeah. Uh, and and just, you know, as far as the engineering goes, the loads and the spans and all yes. that kind of stuff. A guy named George Alcina was the uh, local guy who was a super guy. Yeah. So then I got back out here for No Mercy. That was my first gig back on See, the lot. That's when I first met. So yeah. you so you were exiled to the to I was, paradise. I was at the beach. While I was figuring out the and, business and, here on the lot. And everything else was going on here. They had um, raw deal was going on, right. uh, trucks, which was um, what, uh, over, Ma- Ma- maximum overdrive. Maximum overdrive. Silver Bullet. Not actually, Silver Bullet had already been made, and Maria had already been made. And... Um, Manhunter was kicking in. Manhunter. And then, so I got a call to come back, and I started in as the lead with my local lead with the guys. They brought a coordinator and a foreman from California for No Mercy. Now, so when when the studio shut down, when that's when Dino was going public. That's when he went from North Carolina Film Corporation to DEG they, as a public they company. They started in the fall and the spring of 85, I think it actually became DEG. They did their initial but, public offering and raised right. their hundreds of millions or whatever. Yeah, but, but during that break, were you still working on the house or you, or did the house shut down too during that break? No, I was, um, that's when, after Year of the Dragon, I was off for probably about three months. And then when I came back, we did the guardhouse. I went to Dino's house, and then went to No Mercy. Gotcha. So, and um, during the you know I came down. My first job was Marie, mm-hmm. as a a true story. A true story. Yeah. Landed as a set dresser. You know, I'll tell you one of my favorite stories that that was Fred Thompson's first acting role, and I'm playing himself. Yeah. And um, and we built a courthouse. Here mm-hmm. on stage two or three, I'm a little courtroom, yeah. and I'm in there at six a.m. in the morning, dusting, cleaning. We're going to sure. shoot that day. In walks Fred Thompson with a briefcase, you know, and he sits up at um, his table as the what he'd be the the, the prosecutor. I don't, I don't know which role he played. He was Marie's counsel. But he sets his briefcase up there, and he's kind of sitting around looking around, and he looks at me and says, "Son." What's your name? <laughs> John Kretschmer says, well, what do you do here? I said, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a set dresser. He said, hmm. He says, uh, what's a set dresser do? I said, well, see, I'm cleaning the set, getting it ready, making yeah. sure everything's there. He says, well, well, I got some paperwork here, you know, that was from the actual trial. And I um, said, if I wanted to get that copied, you know, could you take care of that for me? He said, yes, sir, I'd be happy mm-hmm. to take that. So, um, so he gave me the actual files from the, the actual trial. And he says, you know, you can just give me back the copies, you know, don't worry about it. You know, if, the, if it's yellow paper, whatever, maybe give it back. And yeah. so that was my first meeting with Fred Thompson. I went off and copied all the actual paperwork, presented it to Tantar, mm-hmm. who was like, holy smokes. Yeah. You know, this is a great prop. And then um, and we went about our way. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> uh, amazing. Um, gosh, uh, Army Wives. Mm. Um you started Army Wives with me, right? I did, yeah. And because um, I remember um, 
driving into Charleston one night to interview, and you and Linwood Taylor were on the sidewalk. <laughs> well, what happened, Barbara had called me and said, I'm going to Charleston for a couple of days. Would you come and help look at some stage space? And he asked, and she asked about an art director to come along, too. So I suggested Linwood. So we drove down. He and I drove down together. And then we met, and, you know, Barbara being Barbara, we walk into the um, lobby of the, um, was it Mills Brothers? Uh, Mills something. Uh, the Mill, Mill, Mill House. Mill House. Mill House, House. Yeah. Mills House Hotel, the fancy yeah. hotel. The fancy there. hotel. So yeah. we meet her in the lobby after having just driven down there. And immediately ta- she takes us to a private room to show us the pilot. It's not, hey, hello, hello how are you? <laughs> hey, you got to watch the pilot. So we sit down and watch the pilot and, and get out. And then I think by that time we'd gotten our rooms and we were walking out to go grab a bite to eat. And you come driving up <laughs> right in front. I said, hey, we know that guy <laughs> from somewhere. He, yeah. So. I think Linwood had been with me in Florence. He had been. Yeah. Yeah. We were yeah. doing the, the strangers up yeah. there. Yeah. You know, and that was one of, I think, one of my first experiences that's become very common now. And again, here we are at Cinespace Wilmington mm-hmm. in the uh, historic s- stages that have been here for four decades. But what became the new norm is we're going to build our stages as we're building our scenery. You know, move into a warehouse and right, multitask. Yeah. And, and, um, and that was the f- first experience. I remember we looked at several and we ended up in that cardboard box the factory. The box factory, yeah. Which, you know, as Linwood pointed out, it had the sort of um, climate of a wine cellar. It was so well insulated from the outside. On any given day, it would feel kind of right. the same temperature, whether it was a winter, summer, spring, or fall. Of course, uh, uh, Lloyd Ahern uh, made sure that the stages were at 58 degrees at call every morning. Right. And uh, so that that was pretty funny. Yeah, because it, yeah, it had a built-up roof, which was, mm-hmm. which was important. And that know. was also... It let let us off the hook as far as sound went. As rain, when it rained, you didn't have to worry about the sound of the right. rain. Which is where you know you do this yeah. in Atlanta a lot of times. You end up in these warehouses, and they're basically rolls of paper towels over mm-hmm. wire mesh. That's about all the roof is. You know, yeah. just barely a snow load. Yeah, and, um, and that's all you get. You're not having to put hogs hair on them, and I've done that right. on a few shows. Yeah, but I've uh, I called it. Uh, I became to call it forty days and forty nights. You know, because. Within about 40 days, not only have you built your scenery, mm-hmm. you built the infrastructure to mm-hmm. turn this warehouse into a soundstage yeah. and yeah. your rolling film. Yeah. You know, in, in Charlotte, when they, sh- they gave us the keys to an empty warehouse, um, and, uh, and f- five weeks later, we were rolling film. Right. You know, on that was a, on Homeland, right? On Homeland. Yeah. Yeah. I shot in that stage on a, a film called Paper Towns. We, uh, we assumed some of the uh, homeland scenery, and and um, they were scrapping the rest of it. Right. Those end up being pretty good, pretty good spaces. So, what what is your as you recall, your favorite project in terms of when you were handed a script, what was the one that most got you excited? Well, script-wise, I really was drawn to Secret Life of Bees because it was, a, it was a really good novel, and the screenplay 
was faithful to the novel, and it was well written. And it was during the during the uh, writer's strike, so it's one of the few things actually going on. Um, and that's just in terms of um, the just the storytelling, the storytelling. Right. Uh, there are other shows that were certainly more fun and exciting and stimulating from a construction and art department standpoint. Right. But uh, I'd say that just from a, totally a script and a storytelling standpoint and the, was and probably you, my did, favorite. Did the production hold up to your expectations? Well, it was um, – and you know, whoever hears this hears it, but it was a Fox Searchlight film right. that had been uh, ba- backed very uh, in a very lukewarm way. The head of production did not want the film made, but uh, Lauren Schuler Donner did, and her name was attached to it. So they said, "Okay, go ahead. We're going to give you twelve million dollars. If it tanks, no big deal." If it's a success, I look like a hero because I spent twelve million dollars on a and made all this money. Right. So um, we started off with, you know, everybody starts off late. We're doing a um, summer in South Carolina in January in Wilmington. That's that's well, the first thing we were up against. You're definitely gonna need an art department. Well, we had an art department, but we didn't have money. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we had, um, in fact, the Greens Department was the first department to start because we had to, we took a, a house out in Watha as our, what was called the pink house in the in the story. And so they had to start doing the winter rye and watering it so that we have green grass. And um, then we built a uh, peach orchard up in, outside of Bladenboro, out in the, out in the country on this farm. Same thing, it was dead of winter, and we had to paint the house, the inside, the outside of the house. And being the strike, I had five head painters as our paint department. Holy that cow. Was, that was pretty amazing if you looked at the lineup. It, right. You know, everybody from Paul Oliver <laughs> to, uh, to uh, James Onyate. Larry Shepard. Larry Shepard, uh, uh, Chris Holcomb, and Peter Duran. Good heavens. They were the... They were the top five. Then we had other painters, too. But uh, anyway, that part was really cool. And I think, I'll I tell you what, it totally cool because Wilmington is that kind of community where these guys can all work together and yeah. play together. Yeah, yeah. There was no pissing contest. Uh, it was all, you know. That speaks very well to our, our community here. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's get it done. And um, so we had, we built this, um, well, the, the Greens Department had bought wax myrtle trees small ones stripped all the um, vegetation off of them and they had bought mango sprays silks because they they somewhat uh, uh, resembled peach trees Uh so that was the orchard and then they got styrofoam peaches from wherever and tied those on there and they had a few real peaches in the foreground and stuff like that and once again you have to remember we were filming in January, February, right. all this stuff. And um, the uh, <laughs> when we got to uh, the pink house to shoot the exteriors, um, they're, they're going out and they're doing, they're playing in the sprinkler, kids are. Oh, no. And they're doing like <laughs> snow angels in the grass. And 
what where we couldn't get grass, we ended up having to paint paint the lawns, and so the paint was coming off on people's uh, costumes and stuff like that. And just you know, it was just one of those things where so many things went against right and, and intuitively. Right. It was the wrong time of year, the, the wrong place. Right. But it was driven by schedule and actor availability, and, and it all worked out really good. But the time up in Watha was um, was pretty unusual. I was driving up there one morning, uh, up I-40, ahead of my old uh, Ford pickup truck, and I'm doing probably 70, 75 miles an hour. And I see a dot in my rearview mirror, and it gets really big really fast. And it's a black dot. Oh, and no. it's coming... And it's Queen Latifah passing me at well over 100 miles an hour. Wow. And she had the big uh, Mercedes sedan, whatever that n- number is, a yeah, five 500, something. Yeah. Know. And she did, she had a driver, but she liked to drive. So the driver was sitting in the passenger seat <laughs> and she was driving. <laughs> so the very next day, I, I didn't see her that day coming or going, but she got a ticket doing like 115 or something in a 70. Nice. So, um, <laughs> and I don't think she played the card, don't you know who I am or any of that stuff, you know. She took her lumps, and uh, I'm sure that she got out of it in, in some way or another, sure. you know, either through, through fines or. North Carolina has a great system. You know, if you get a speeding yeah. ticket, you get 10 letters in the mail from lawyers. Oh, yeah. You throw them up in the air catch one mm-hmm. and you call them up and send them a check and it goes away it goes away <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, uh it's going to be something like improper equipment correct yeah, yeah. i you, love that i like it you get a fine you get a court cost and then you yeah. c- keep walking in, in yeah. army wives i got a ticket you know in south carolina somewhere and yeah. i was like well where's my lawyer no nope. yeah. no you gotta show up yeah in in south carolina mm-hmm. so, so um, somebody's got to show up you just need yeah. to show up mm-hmm. don't take care of it but uh, anyway, you had Queen Latifah up there. You had Jennifer Hudson, Alicia Keys were all in the cast. And the three of them being superstars already. Uh, Jennifer Hutton, Hudson maybe not so much by that time. But they were all had firm fit, uh, firm footings in their own careers. And they would just, you know, be joking around and, and do a little sing song this or that, just hanging out. But, and, but they were all so gracious and very friendly. And it was a kind of a um, a budget run operation, and you didn't. Gotcha. There was no one grandstanding about my trailer or this or that. Right. We had catering was set up in the Watha Community Center, and that's and that's where base camp was. And it was very. Uh, and that was another part that what I really liked beside the script. It was the people that were, you know, the crew, the crew, the crew, and the cast face forward on all that stuff right yeah you know speaking of making a movie the wrong time of year summer catch yeah <laughs> you know which uh you built for me a show i designed yeah and what an amazing uh undertaking and and i'll just start with you know i got hired to do the job and i think in probably in february and mm-hmm. yeah we're going to shoot summer catch we're going to shoot summer for summer because by the way if you watch bull durham you know, they shot that in fall, and there's, you know, you can see the vapor yeah. coming out of mm-hmm. the pitcher's mouth when he's getting ready to pitch. So now we're going to shoot in the summer. Try to find a baseball field in mm-hmm. the summer. Mm-hmm. They're booked. They're yeah. busy. So yeah. we decided we're going to build one from scratch. Mm-hmm. On a recreational field, yeah. 
and the uh, you know you learn something in every film besides uh learning about baseball it was about grass yeah and the determining factor for success on that was the nighttime temperature in the spring of whether that grass was going to was going to uh, go in time or not. You know, we started off with overseeded Bermuda, and then as the seeded, as the winter rye died down, the Bermuda took off. So we just hit it at the right time. I, I remember it was all it was all about faith. You know, yeah, we're looking, it was. It was a total crapshoot. And because yeah. um, we're looking at brown grass, brown grass, and we're looking at Herb Gaines and, yeah. uh, and uh, Michael and that, Tolan. And, and that Herb Gaines brow, you know, that... <laughs> It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. And it it turned out beautifully. Um, I think the movie's okay, but that was a damn good baseball diamond. Yeah. And that notch. And that scene, that aerial scene coming over the waterway. Right. That aerial coming over the, I mean. Yeah. You know, that's magic. You know, I scouted that in an airplane. Yeah. Um, I talked them into letting me go up in an airplane. Right. I remember you you showed me photos of that. And I think I shot video. I think I shot that shot. Yeah, you probably uh, did. Because the most interesting thing about um, our baseball diamond in Southport, uh, north of the Cape Cod diamond, that we... um, We're copying the Chatham... Chatham A's. Yeah, Chatham A's. And I think I gave Michael Tolan, I gave him an aerial shot of the Chatham A's diamond. Mm -hmm. And then about the time he went to camera, I replaced it with this matching aerial shot of our diamond. The coastline was key. And and I do remember, um, you know, I think after you got all the sod laid, you know, we needed rain. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I still have the radar shot of this giant front of rain that came in the day you finished laying the sod. Mm -hmm. And that, that also helped in our... We did end up having... We did put in irrigation because we had to have, you know, water f- of for a long time after that. But, yeah, that was key to get it in and start watering it right away. Yeah. Um, that was really good. Uh, and a lot of a lot of good things happened on that show. Just the timing-wise, the schedule worked out. And they brought in the Musco lights for our... Um, for the athletic field yes. lighting. That was huge. And, um, and when... After we built the um, the other sets, the uh, bar interior, and then uh, a couple of other things, Herb didn't want us to carry a crew during all the filming of the uh, baseball scenes, which was over three weeks. Right. So we, you know, asked everybody to take a seat, to sit on the bench for a while, and every day, myself, Roger Scruggs, Brian Kantz. And Bill Collins, our medic, and Paul Davis, our teamster, were the only we, – we came in every morning. We went to the field. We dressed the field. We rechalked the lines if it needed it, depending right. on continuity. Right. Um, dragged the infield, and then we would take some BP <laughs> <laughs> just to have – you know, get, get a little exercise in. But uh, we were working a lot of time, a lot of days we were barefooted out there. Oh, that's great. Just getting our job done. And then once, um, and these, this is when the shooting crew was working splits or later. And, sometimes. and night, a lot of nighttime baseball yeah, in yeah. summer catch. So we'd, we'd hang till they got there and right. then make sure everything's good. Thank you.
between the first Turtles movie and uh, Elmo and Grouch Land, I'd say art department-wise, were probably the most challenging, A, and the most fun, B. And being, to work, being able to work with the Henson Group right. was amazing. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Jim Henson in whatever office hub is over in the front at the beginning of production for the first Turtles. He just came into town to wow. check it out. and Hell of a nice guy. He had a little floppy hat and old Baton Rouge Cajun. I'm not, I don't know if he's Cajun or not, but that's where he hailed from. Swing, swing. Yeah, and um, just hell of a nice guy and just checking things out. And then he went on about his business. Well, um, but the just the um, sort of uh, R&D to go into building the tunnels that were a compound radius. Right. Which, um, you know, we'd built a lot of shapes before, but that, these all had to be bricked also. So it was a, um, the whole thing was just built in strips, strips of wood, so we could bend them, bend them, bend them, bend them, and then piece in, kind of like boat building. Gotcha. So you can go horizontally for right. a point, and then it starts getting off. Then you've got to fit it in, fit it in. And um, George Simcox and the plaster crew, you know, they had a half a dozen different brick uh, templates to work off of wow. to make the plaster brick. And then um, we had to uh, fiberglass the bottom of the tunnels. We put two... Uh, flat surfaces together to make a V so they could skateboard on them. Right. But, but also flood them to the point where the, they could uh, recirculate the water and just keep it going. So we had a recirculating tank outside the stage and just kept feeding that. That was uh, Joe Digatano, the uh, effects guy, did that. Uh, and um, it was pretty magic, you know. And uh, Scott Davis was, I think, that was my first show as a coordinator, and it may have been his first show as a key grip. I believe it was. And uh, so a lot of uh, a lot of neophytes, but we all had a lot of background. Right. So it wasn't like it was your first rodeo. You were just in, the, in a different chair. Yeah. And uh, I think that marked an era in Wilmington where we truly, um, our native workforce, was as good as any in the world. Yeah. It had all the techniques that London had, any and all the techniques that Los Angeles had. And I think the um, the professionalism and the exactness that New York. So, um, yeah, I would agree. And I uh, had a great art department, Roy Smith, Yeah, which was like, uh, we all, we always called him the splinter, you know, in the in the story, Splinter's the old rat. <laughs> and we caught, that was our nickname for him was Splinter because he resembled him in yeah. some way. He was tall and lanky. And I think about it, him being old. Because he, during the first Turtles, he had his 60th birthday. I'm going, right. this guy's really old. <laughs> I'm going, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm older than he is now. So. How about that? Yeah. But I'm only 34 in dog years. Yeah, that's And I'm right. holding. He, Roy, had a, he kept a sailboat on the back lot i think too he was working on the sailboat he was doing something but he and i went sailing one day mm -hmm. um, my friend jimmy dean who had a couple of sailboats um he was going to take us on an outing and he uh injured his back so roy and i went out with becky and his girlfriend donna and had a um it was quite a comedy of errors we were just, <laughs> we didn't we never got outside of banks channel but right. we we went up and down a few times a little so. monohull 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a little twenty-five foot. Like a as I recall, he had one on the back that he was working yeah. on the whole time he was yeah. here, and I had it parked up back. So anyway, and that was fun. Gary Wisner, art director, right. Karen Stewart, and um, you know we had you know, George Simcox running the plaster shop, and uh, just uh, just a great crew. But the thing we'd had, which is a dying breed, is we had prep time. Right. We had. Over, I want to say maybe ten weeks of prep, wow, which is unheard of anymore. Right, because we, you know, you're creating a world that doesn't exist. Plus, we had to revamp the back lot, which right. was no small feat. Yeah, you know, and it was by that time that was '89, so it was, had five years on it. So it was right. starting to show a lot of wear and tear. So we had to um, do a lot of work to to safety it up because right. it was kind of. Uh, Kind of a hodgepodge. And get it back to New York. And get it back to New York. New York yeah. City for for yeah. the mm-hmm. uh, for teenage mutant ninja turtles. Yeah. And I mentioned George Simcox and plaster, you know, the history of plaster here. Mm-hmm. You know, the the trade we learned very much from the English. Mm-hmm. And I think when Les Dilly came back through his maybe a second or third time to Wilmington for Black Knight, yeah. I was lobbying for an art director job. Yeah. And um he says John, I can't can't hire you as an art director. So mm-hmm. You need to go work in plaster. Yeah, you need to learn plaster, and um, and that was an amazing um, chore for me. I, I made it to gang boss. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I learned the craft, and to this day, you know, I benefit from that knowledge for um, sure. Yeah, um, it's a it's a beautiful form. You can shape it any way you want, and it takes pa- paint lovely. You know? Yeah, well, that was great when uh, we started Year of the Dragon. That was the whole birth of the plaster industry. Uh, Ken Powell, who was the uh, head of the department, and then he brought probably six guys with him from uh, from England. And, you know, they hired all the locals, had no, had no hidden agenda, so they taught them everything. As I like to say, I taught you everything you know, but not everything I know. <laughs> but they, they uh, imparted a lot of knowledge. Uh, to the local crew, which you know carried on for decades. Carried on, that. It, it certainly showed up on the abyss. Yeah, yeah, and, for um, sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and certainly Black Knight was a, a total exploitation in plaster. Well, here when we did when I t- touched on the Hensons, when we did Elmo and Grouchland, we built the uh, we copied the Sesame Street set, kind of verbatim, and we put that on stage seven. And then we built Grouchtown, which was a total right. discombobulated world. Everything right. is upside down, backwards. It's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, if exactly. you built a set and you dropped it from about 30 feet <laughs> and however it landed. But we had, we built, you know, things in Muppet scale. So uh, George and them built like two or three different uh, forms of reduced size brick. And then made, uh, you know, made molds from those and right. then made skins from those. So we had buildings, you know, with so many varied sized bricks, but they were Muppet scale, along with the doors and the windows and everything else. And when, when shooting that set, one of the most um, sort of chaotic and cacophonous things you've ever seen is when... You have the and, and the, the the puppet operators are down on the ground. Right. They're on the floor. 
they have we built these things called uh, Muppet carts, and you're you have a little dolly with your monitor on it because you're watching you're watching what the camera what the sees. Camera sees. So you're operating above your head, and so and a lot of them were voicing their own uh, puppets. So they some of them had on uh, had on mics, headsets. They mics, had on yeah. headsets. And then you had extras, because there were a lot. You know, it was a it was a town, so it wasn't just the principal players. There were all these other puppets in there. So when you stand back from that, you see the set, which starts at about four feet off the ground, right? And then you see like twenty five people down below that, with their carts and their monitors and their gear, right? And this is not wireless, so you had cable. Out yeah. in the yin yang, video cable, audio cable, oh my goodness, just a just a sea of it, like twenty five monitors. Yeah, and you've got, oh my goodness. and then you've oh just, my goodness. you just all the all these people doing this and that, and it's just like, but if you put a line here, and you don't see the below four feet, it's beautiful, uh-huh. and then below that is just absolute chaos, the, the underworld, yeah. the underworld yeah. of the Muppets, yeah. Wow, what what a nice interview, John. I, I just appreciate uh, where you guys went. It was beautiful. Well, I, I think the audience got to know a little bit about the amazing Tom Jones, Absolutely. formerly known as the Reverend to me, now known as the Doctor, <laughs> and um, and the Doctor's in for and, sure, and going to be impossible to live with. <laughs> yeah, and then what a blessing to be able to work with the Muppets, yeah. um, which uh, many people are, you know, many people in New Wellington got that experience. The uh, Muppets and the Turtles. So yeah. the Hensons have been here a lot. And uh, up next is an amazing gentleman, Chuck Potter, uh, set decorator who hailed from Mississippi and came through Wilmington on his way to New York. And guess what? He came back. Oh, my gosh. So uh, that's Chuck Potter next time. And we're calling that show. Chuck, we need more bubbles. More (laughs) bubbles. I'm Scott Davis with John Kretschmer. Be kind, everybody. Created and written by Scott Davis and John D. Kretschmer. The theme music is provided by Turbo Pro Project. This one-of-a-kind podcast is recorded at the historic screening room at Cinespace Studios in Wilmington, North Carolina. Copyright Bluffco Industry 2024.